Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Before I came up, please introduce yourself. I know there's some visitors, and for some reason or other, he seems to be fixated on making absolutely sure that people know I'm not him. I'm not sure why, what the deal is with that. I should probably be offended, but uh, I won't be. Uh, my name is Derek Gray. Um, I am, uh, I've been a member of this church probably about 15 years. I've been a, a board member here for about 12 years. I teach a Bible study class, and uh, ever so often, Pastor Henry will allow me to, to get up and speak, of, of, uh, of which I, I really appreciate it. And yeah, that, that tall young man earlier was my son, so please don't hold that against me uh, as, I, as I begin here. If you got your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to be reading verses 11 through 14. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The title of my message this morning is Race and the Gospel. Race and the Gospel. Uh, almost 12 years ago, when we moved this church from Sopchoppy here to the center of the county, there were several reasons we had for doing that. But one of the reasons that was very important to us is we wanted this church here at River of Life to be a church where people of all races were welcome. And we've done that. I believe we succeeded in that. Now, we're going to, we're, we're not perfect. We're going to continue, we're making progress. We're going to continue to make progress as we move through the months and the years ahead. But the fact of the matter is this. When you look around this county, you look around this state, you look around this country, too many churches and too many Christians are not making any progress at all in this area. There was a, recently I read a study, it was a study done by Lifeway Research, and uh, they did a study on churches in America, and they found out in America, by the way, this wasn't 10 years ago or 5 years ago, that was, this was this year, in America right now, 86% of churches in America are made up of one race. Now, I want you to just think about that for one second. We've integrated our schools, we've integrated our workplaces, we've integrated our sports teams, but today, 9 out of 10, almost 9 out of 10 churches in America are made up of just one race. Now, there's a lot I could say about that, and none of it would be good, okay? But I do want to ask and answer one question this morning. Does it really matter? Does it matter? You know, this is America, right? Free country. You can worship how you want. You can worship with who you want. Does it really matter? In fact, if we all love Jesus, if we're worshiping Jesus, does it really matter if we do it separately? If we really love Jesus, do, does it really matter if we do it segregated? Well, I'm here to tell you guys this morning that not only does it matter, it matters a lot. Not only does it matter, it matters greatly. Because as we're going to see in our scripture this morning, race relations between Christians 
goes to the very heart and the very truth of the gospel itself. We're going to see that this morning. Now, I've said this often from the pulpit. One of the things that I absolutely love about the Bible is it doesn't sugarcoat anybody or anything. It doesn't matter if it's Noah. It doesn't matter if it's Moses. It doesn't matter if it's David. God takes their strengths and their weaknesses, their successes and their failures, and He just puts it right there on the pages of Scriptures for everybody to see. Doesn't try to hide anything. Doesn't try to sugarcoat anything. Just puts everything right there in the Bible for us to see. And, and by the way, there's a reason for that. Because God wants us not only to be inspired by their strengths, He wants us to learn from their mistakes. He, he not only wants us to be inspired by their successes, He wants us to be guided by their failures. Now this morning, we're going to look at one of the greatest Christians to ever live, and that's the Apostle Peter. Peter was, he was a man among men. He was a leader among Christians. He loved Jesus with everything that was in him. In fact, he loved him so much, he ended up, at the end of his life, being crucified upside down. He gave everything for Jesus. But Peter wasn't perfect. And there was a time in Peter's life where he made a mistake so bad that another Christian had to get in his face and rebuke him publicly for what he had done. Get in his face and rebuke. Would you like that? Would you like to make a mistake and another Christian get up on the stage and rebuke you in front of everybody in the church? That's exactly what happened to Peter. And what was this mistake that was so egregious? He separated himself from other races. He separated himself from other races. Let's read Galatians 2. We're going to start with verses 11 through 13. It says this, But when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, as we get started this morning, let's make sure first that we understand the context of this passage. Now, Peter was a Jew. Now, the Jews, as we all know, were a special people. They were chosen by God to be a special people. But if you go back to Genesis and you look at God's conversations with Abraham, you'll find the reason why God chose the Jews. He chose them so that they would be a blessing to other nations so that they would be a blessing to other races, other peoples, other ethnicities. That was, that was why they were chosen, to be a blessing. But as time went by, they began to look down their noses on other people. They thought they were special. They had been chosen by God. And instead of being a blessing to other people, they began to look down their noses at them. And so by the time uh, 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 several centuries have gone by and you get down to the time of Jesus and Peter, by that time the Jews won't have anything to do with other races. Nothing. In fact, you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus is going through Samaria and He comes to Jacob's well and He's thirsty and He sees a woman there and He asks her for a drink and she says to Him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. And it says right there in Scripture, for Jews don't associate 
with Samaritans. We don't have anything to do with them. Don't eat with them, don't drink with them, don't talk to them. In fact, it was so bad, Samaria was no, Samaria lay between Jerusalem and Galilee. The Jews, instead of just going through Samaria, they'd go around it. They wouldn't even go through the land in, in case they happened to have, you know, have to interact with some of those other people. That's how bad it was. But notice in our Scripture today, Peter's not like that at all. Peter, something has happened to Peter. Here in our passage today, he's a Jew, but he's eating with the Gentiles. Now, for a Jew, you've got to understand, this is radical behavior. Jews just did not eat with other races. So this is a radical thing that Peter is doing. So we have to ask the question, what happened to Peter? How did Peter go from a Jew that would not eat with other races, wouldn't have anything to do with other races, to a Jew who now he's going to the other people, Gentiles' houses and he's eating with them and he's fellowshipping with them and he's being friends with them? What happened to Peter. Well, what you'll see is that several years earlier, and I think it's important to understand this, something very significant happened in Peter's life. This happened several years earlier, and it all started with a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius wasn't a Jew. In fact, he was a Roman centurion. He was a Roman soldier. But, centur- but, uh, but Cornelius was a good man. He believed in the God of the Jews. In fact, the Bible tells us that he prayed to the God daily. And he was also, by the way, he was a wealthy man, but he was a very generous man. He was very charitable. He took his money and he gave alms to to charities and beggars, and he gave his money away to take care of people less fortunate than he was. And then one day an angel came to him and he said, Cornelius... He said, your charity and your prayers have come before God. God has remembered what you've been doing. And here's what you need to do. You need to take some of your men, send them over to a town called Joppa, and I want you to look for a man named Peter. And when you find him, ask him. He will tell you what you need to do. So Cornelius does exactly that. He takes three of his most trusted men, and he says, go over to Joppa and find a man named Peter. And so they do that. It's about a day's journey away, so they go on their way. Now, the next day, it's about lunchtime, and Peter goes up on the rooftop to pray. Now, in those days, it sounds a little weird to us, but in those days, they all had flat roofs. So they would go up on the roof in the cool of the, uh, in the heat of the day to cool off. So it's about lunch. Peter's hungry. They're downstairs preparing the, 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 the lunchtime meal, and Peter's up on the roof, and he begins to pray. And while he prays, he falls into a trance and he has a vision. And in this vision, he sees this large sheet coming down out of heaven. And in this sheet is all kind of animals. There's hippos and giraffes and crocodiles and pigs and catfish and shrimp and just all these, these odd things, right? And Peter hears this voice. Remember, he's hungry. And he hears this voice that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, you've got to understand something about Jews. Jews have very strict dietary laws. They don't eat hippos or giraffes or shrimp or catfish or crocodiles or any of those things. They just don't do it. And Peter said, when he heard the voice say, Rise, Peter, kill and eat, he said, Whoa, no way, Lord. I've never eaten anything like that. In all of my life, he says, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And then he heard that voice say to him, Peter, he said, What God has called clean, don't you ever call common or unclean. Now this happened three times. 
And finally, Peter awakens from his vision, and he's sitting there on that rooftop, and he's trying to think, man, what in the world could that mean? And at that exact second, those three men from Cornelius show up at his front gate. And the Holy Spirit says to Peter, says, Peter, there's three men standing at your front gate. I want you to get up and go with them because I've sent them. And so Peter does that, doesn't just, just obeys what the Holy Spirit told him to do. He goes with those men. It's about a day's journey to go back over to Caesarea. The next day they come to Caesarea and Cornelius is waiting on them. But it's not just him. He has gone out and invited all his family, all his friends. Everybody knows there's a house full of Gentiles. And Peter walks into that house and I want you to hear what he says. He said this. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation or another race. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so Peter goes in that house. He's not supposed to be there according to Jewish law. And he goes into that house and he preaches the gospel. And lo and behold, the Holy Spirit falls. And the people in that house are born again. They're regenerated. They're saved. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter and the Jews that are with him cannot believe it. They are astonished that God would give the Holy Spirit to these people of other nations and other races. And then Peter says this, and I want you to hear what he says. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. You see, this was literally a life-changing event for Peter. You see, he had always understood the gospel. But on that day, he understood for the first time that the gospel was for everybody. Not just the Jews. The gospel was for everyone. That the only condition for being saved, the only condition for receiving the Holy Spirit wasn't who you are. Doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter what gender you are. Doesn't matter what nationality you are. Doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you have. The only condition for receiving the Holy Spirit is a living faith in Jesus Christ. Now folks, that is the heart of the gospel. You want to know what the heart of the gospel is? The heart of the gospel is this. We are made right with God, not by works, not by anything we are, not by anything we can do, but by faith and faith alone. That is the gospel. That is the heart of the gospel. Now, years have gone by since that happened with Cornelius. Here's Peter. He's in Antioch, and I want you to notice what he's doing. He's eating with the Gentiles. You see, what Peter is doing now, he learned the lesson years ago about what the gospel really was and who it was for. And here he is years later eating with the Gentiles. And what I want you to notice, he's living out the reality of the gospel in his life. The gospel isn't something that's just in his heart and just in his head. He's acting out the gospel. He's behaving in step with the gospel. His life is in rhythm or in step with the gospel. In other words, his life reflects the reality of what he believes on the inside. And by the way, did you notice what, Paul, uh, what Peter's doing to live out the gospel? He's just eating with them. He's just hanging out. He's just being friends. He's just going to their house. It's not staged. It's not programmed. It's just, a, a, it's just a beautiful, simple, free, natural relationship that every, like every human being 
should have. Nothing fancy. He's just living out the reality of the gospel. Now, I really wish the story stopped right there. And that would be a great story. But it doesn't. You see, something happened. Let's read it again in verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. You see, what happened is Peter's in in Antioch. He's eating with the Gentiles. Man, he's just living out the freedom of the gospel. And these Jews came down from Jerusalem. Now, we don't know a lot about them. All we do know is they didn't believe like Peter believed. They didn't understand the gospel the way that Peter understood the gospel. Now, who they are and what they believed is not really that important for our story today. What's important for our story is made explicitly clear, and that is Peter was afraid of them. Peter was scared of them. Now, we're not told what Peter was afraid of, but can I tell you it's pretty easy to read between the lines? You see, Peter was afraid of what his own people might think of him, afraid of what his own people might say about him. Can we be honest? It's really easy not to care what somebody on the other side of the world thinks about you, isn't it? It's really easy not to care what somebody that you don't really even know thinks about you. But can I tell you that we care deeply about what those closest to us think about us? We care deeply about what those closest to us might think or say about us. You see, we, Peter had a fear that a lot of people have. He feared being ostracized by his own people. And so Peter makes a mistake. Instead of standing up for the gospel, instead of standing up for the gospel and what it taught, he caved. He allowed fear to govern his actions. I want you to notice this. Notice what Peter did. He, he wasn't gover- being governed by the gospel. He, his actions weren't governed by his love for his brothers and sisters. No, his actions were being governed by fear. By the way, did you know that fear not is the most com- uh, repeated command in the Bible? I don't know how many times it say it, but I've read that several times. Fear not is the most repeated command in the Bible. Why? Because God knows how dangerous fear is. Fear will make you do things that you know in your heart of hearts is not right. Fear will even override your belief in the gospel at times. Fear will override your trust in God. You see, Peter is free. He's in Antioch. He's eating with his brothers and sisters across racial lines. And he allowed fear of men to ruin his faithfulness to the gospel. And I want you to notice something else in that scripture. When Peter did it, guess who followed him? It says when Peter did it, the Jews that were with him and even Barnabas followed him. You see, Peter was a leader. People looked up to him. So when he withdrew from other races, other people followed him. Let me tell you, if you're here today and you're a parent, you're a teacher, you're a person in authority, that's got somebody looking up to you, somebody watching you, can I tell you how you react or how you behave with regards to the gospel matters? 
When you behave in a way that's out of step with the gospel, that's contrary to the gospel, you're not only affecting yourself, you're affecting those that are looking up to you. Now, we have a... Um, okay, let me go back here for just a second. I want to I cover one more thing. Peter has made a mistake. Now, we all know that. He shouldn't have done it. He should have stood up for the gospel, but he, do, he didn't do that. Now, there is someone else watching this whole thing unfold. And this is a man named Paul. Now, let me tell you, Paul, he's not afraid of anybody. Paul ain't never met a man or a demon or anybody that he's afraid of. Let's read what Paul says in verse 14. This is Paul talking, and he says this, But when I saw, now I want you to watch what he says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, when I saw that their behavior was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What I want you to notice out of that scripture is this. Paul implies that there is conduct, behavior, habits, actions, attitudes in our life that can be out of step with the gospel, actually can contradict the gospel. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is your life in step with the gospel? We have a saying in this church, true salvation equals a changed life. And what we mean by that is this, when you really get saved, when the gospel is received into your heart with genuine faith, can I tell you, it's not if, it's not a maybe, it's not a possibility, but when that happens, your life changes. Your actions change. Your behavior changes. It's like, it's like you're walking along and you're completely out of step with the gospel, right? Like, I, I can't dance at all, right? I, I shouldn't tell you all this, but I can't dance at all, but I like, I like to. I like to do it. So sometimes, like, I'll be out walking around my property where nobody can see me and I'll, I'm listening to my iPhone and I'll plug in some Lecrae. Most of you don't even know who Lecrae is. And I'll pop in some Lecrae, and Lecrae, there's this beat going, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and I'll start dancing. And then I'll look at myself, and it's so ugly, I just have to stop. I just can't, I just, I just think, man, I, I can't do that anymore. You see, it's like, a lot of people are like that. When you're unsaved, it's like the gospel is moving to one beat, and your life is completely out of whack. It's completely out of step. You're not in rhythm. But when you get saved, what happens is, slowly and surely, your life begins to get in step. It's like you hear the drumbeat of the gospel, and you get in step with that gospel. You get in rhythm with that gospel. You get in line with that gospel. Your behaviors, your actions, your attitudes, your habits, they begin to change, to gel with that gospel. That's what we mean when we say... True salvation equals a changed life. And by the way, there are many wonderful attributes of a life that's in step with the gospel. You for, before you couldn't forgive, now you can. Before you couldn't love, now you can. Before you couldn't show mercy, now you can. Before you didn't obey Him, now you do. There's many wonderful attributes, but what I need you to understand is this. We, even as Christians, even like Peter, we can still have behaviors and attitudes and actions that can be out of step with the gospel. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the gospel in this church. Pastor Henry has 
shared it with us several times from the pulpit. I know Molly got up here on the stage and shared the gospel. Scooter got up on the stage and shared the gospel. But what you and I need to understand is there's more to sharing the gospel than just knowing scriptures. By the way, that's important. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We should know the Scriptures. We should be able to share them. But the fact is, if we really believe the Gospel, then our lives should reflect the reality of that belief. In other words, people should not only hear the Gospel from your lips, they should see the Gospel in the way you live. Now listen to me. Here's the main point of my message today. When Christians separate by race... We behave in a way that is out of step with the truth of the gospel. When Christians separate by race, we behave in a way that is out of step with the truth of the gospel. Now, I'm going to give you two reasons why. I'm not just going to say that and leave it hanging. I want to give you two reasons why, uh, why that's true. Number one, when it comes to salvation, the gospel teaches us that we are all in the same boat. We are all exactly the same. You see, as Christians, we should understand something the world doesn't get. And that is, we are sinners. Every last one of us. doesn't matter if you're black, white, green, yellow, red, brown. It doesn't matter. We're all in the exact same boat. Romans 3.23 says, We all, all races have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glorious standard of God. Right? We're all in the same boat. And because of that, by the way, we all under the same death sentence. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We're all under that same death sentence. But can I tell you this? God loved us all, all races, so much that He wouldn't leave us in that state. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates His love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 now says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we have to do? doesn't matter who you are. No matter what race, what gender, what nationality, what rich man, poor man, doesn't matter. The Bible says this, If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen to me. Faith alone unites us to Christ. Not race not nationality, not gender, not status, not any of those things, but faith and faith of long. We all have to be saved the same way. We all have to look away from ourselves. We all have to cast ourselves utterly on Him, on His righteousness, on His blood. So the first reason, that's the first reason that the separation of races among Christians is out of step with the gospel, because the gospel puts us all on a level ground of utter dependence on grace. The second reason that the separation of races among Christians is out of step with the truth of the gospel is that belief in the gospel should change your identity. Let me say that again. Belief in the gospel changes our identity. If I ask you this morning, I want you to don't, don't shout anything out, but if I ask you this morning to describe yourself with one word, not two, not three, not ten. Tell me who you are. Identify yourself with one word. What would you say? Not too long ago, there was a lady on television. Her name is Megan Rapino, And Megan Rapino is a U.S. women's soccer player. And she was on a television show. And they asked her that question. They said, 
uh, identify yourself. Tell us who you are with one word. And she wrote on a whiteboard and turned it around, and it said, gay. Now, when I saw that and I read about that, I thought, how sad that was. That, that, that was so sad to me. That Here's a woman, and she identifies. That, that's her identity. That's who she is. That's how the world, that's the most important thing in her life is the fact that she's gay. She, she wants the world to see her. She views everything through that. And I thought, man, that is so sad. But then I got to thinking about us and about other ways that we identify. If I ask you this morning, identify yourself, is the most important thing to you that you're white, that you're black, that you're Asian, is your race... Is that the most important thing to you? Is that how you want people to see you and how, you know, is that it? Is it your gender? Do you want, I'm a woman, I'm a man? Is that the most important thing in the world to you? Is it your nationality? Is, is being an American the most important thing in the world? Is that how you identify? Listen, I don't know what you would say. But I can tell you, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a, a Christian, I can tell you what you should say. And you can say it a lot of different ways, a lot of different words. You can say redeemed. You can say saved. You can say reborn. You can say regenerated. You can say chosen. You can say elect. You can say Christian. What I'm here to tell you this morning is if you are a child of God, we no longer identify by race. We no longer identify by gender. We no longer identify by status or nationality. Those things may be true, but they're not who we are. They, that's not the most important thing to me. As a Christian, I will identify in one way, in one way only, and that is I am a child of God. Paul puts it this way, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Listen to this. This is a New Living Translation. Paul says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. You see, that's race. Paul said, There's, there's no longer separation by race. There's no longer slave or free. You see, that's status. There's no longer separation by status. There's no longer male and female. That's gender. Paul says, no, you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you ask me this morning, is a racially diverse church important? I would say, oh, it's so important. Why? Because it shows that we believe the gospel. It shows that we really believe the gospel. It shows that we're practicing on the outside who we really are on the inside. It shows that we're not just saying it with our, believing it in our head, saying it with our lips, but we're living it out in our actual lives. Yes, it's important. It's critically important. The world, by the way, the world is looking at us. You don't think that the world sees that statistic and says those people don't really believe all that. They don't, you know, that's why it's important. That's why when we established this church, we said we will not do that. We will be a church where everybody's welcome. Because we want Walcola County to not just hear the gospel, we want them to see the gospel. 
Now, one of the things that I love about this story, let's come back to good old Peter, right? I, I don't want to bash him, is that he realized his mistake. Years later, he would write a letter to the churches. I want you to listen to the language he used. This is 1 Peter 2.9. He says this, this is Peter writing to a church just like us, and he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. You see, years later, Paul would write, and he'd say, you Christians, you're a new race. You've been called out of darkness, and I love that song we just bring. He breathed, it's His breath in our lungs. It's His seed in my body. It's His Spirit in me. doesn't matter my color. doesn't matter if I'm man or woman or American or Mexican or any of those things. We are a new race. We are a new people. And our job is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us. How can we do that in a segregated manner? We can't. We can't. That's why this is so important. Now listen to me. Peter was a real Christian. He loved God with all his heart. He believed the gospel. But he let fear cause him to do something that he knew in his heart was wrong. He knew it. And I want you to notice one more thing from that passage. And once again, I'm going to point this out. Notice who Peter was afraid of. He was afraid of his own people. You see, I think that is amazingly true and amazingly insightful. That when it comes to the walls that separate the races, it's not fear of the other race that keeps the walls up. It's the fear of our own race, our own people. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? What are they going to do? Listen to you. Don't let what happened to Peter happen to us. Don't let this wonderful freedom of the gospel that we have, let's not let fear ruin the freedom that we have to live and to work and to eat and to fellowship and to worship with brothers and sisters of all races. Or to put it positively, can we fall in, the lo fall in love with the gospel all over again? Can we fall in love with the gospel that says, I am who I am because of faith? And that and nothing else identifies me as a child of God. When it comes to race relations, by the way, I don't know if y'all noticed this, but the world doesn't get better. It just seems to be getting worse. The reason is, by the way, is because we have a sin problem, not a skin problem. And can I tell you that as a church here at River Life, we have the answer to that problem. And it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. People want to know what's the answer to race problems. I'll tell you what it is. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we called out of that darkness, we come into the light, and we're unified in Jesus Christ. That's the answer. But here, I've got to tell you one more thing. Can I ask you, River of Life, as we move ahead in the weeks and months and years to come, can we set an example for Wakala County? Can we set an example for our neighbors can we set an example for our children and our grandchildren? Can we show them that River of Life is not only a place where the gospel is proclaimed, but River of Life is a place where the gospel is lived? Let's pray. Father, 
I thank you so much this morning for your... Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions. Thank you.